0: The Knights of the Shed podcast presents Zwaihanda, a fireside chat. everybody. Uh, Welcome back to The Shed. We're doing something a little bit different this time. We've got a new campaign coming up that Paul's going to run and we thought we might have a bit of a chat about that game and uh, what Paul's ideas are and about the systems, Vyhander, which we're all a bit new to and has captured Paul's imagination.
1: Absolutely. Vyhander, I was looking around for a, a game because I was dissatisfied with how some of the other role, standard role-playing games were working in terms of being very high magic and a bit superpowery, And I wanted something a bit grittier and to try and build up the tension and the fear, and it, which is a bit hard to do when you're summoning laser turrets to destroy everything in your path. Yeah. I've had that experience in Pathfinder... Or the Super Magic from, from D&D, which you can just bypass, you know, the best of well-laid traps. With And I didn't want to have to modify stuff to deliberately target and nerf characters. Sure.
0: So I thought we might start by just talking about the actual game you want to run. What it is mm. that you want to, what kind of game, what kind of style, what the setting is. Well,
1: I think for a, a long time... And this is going to sound funny, but uh, back in the days of Second Ed AD&D, had some really great Ravenloft games where we'd sort of all start feeling rather kind of creeped out and scared and really getting emotionally invested in, in what was happening. And recently I've been trying to capture that over the last few years and seemed like I was a bit let down by the system. There's some great adventures out there like Curse of Strahd and carrion crown which was um an adventure path was a pathfinder pathfinder yeah. yeah and just didn't seem to get there and i'm not sure whether it was partly due to the mechanics and the array of superpowers characters had it, it kind of uh defeats suspense when you can just go detect magic every every minute was it about people not being scared enough not sort
0: of feeling that horror element or was it more just in general you thought people weren't engaging with the
1: material I think it was just too cheap, too cheap to win with Pathfinder that you'd have the the power creep and eventually what was written in the text, I could modify it, but I had to really start using environmental effects to... To really, I guess, counter a lot of the party's stuff But even then, the wizard became ridiculously powerful And the DCs were very high and my dice were rolling very low (laughs) So, you know, the arch-villain would suffocate within two rounds There was another end-of-level boss monster And the wizard cast uh, summon lantern archons And they were the the mobile laser turrets And there'd be about 12 of them on the field that bypassed all damage reduction and they were flying so the creature actually couldn't hit them at all. Yep. And it was just a walkthrough. Yeah.
0: yeah. You're not even all that fond of combat anyway, are you, in a, a general sense? You don't want long involved combats for the most part.
1: I like a good combat. I don't... I got a bit sick of wandering monsters all the time and, and that um, we have to use attrition to yep. moderate the party i prefer not to get tied up in combat all the time i much prefer a balance between three elements of combat problem solving investigation and uh social interaction within in the role-playing world yeah
0: so with this new campaign that you're planning that we are hopefully commencing pretty soon we'll be recording for the podcast what's the is that a Ravenloft? Yeah, game still, is that what you're planning?
1: Yeah, absolutely. One of the members in the group, Hayden, who's playing Lucky Jim at the moment in Dungeon Crawl Classics, he is a big Ravenloft fan and I just wanted to give him the opportunity to play some of the, the classic Ravenloft modules see how they work out. Originally I was thinking about something along the lines of a Call of Cthulhu type system with the rolling under yeah. the percentages, skills based where people aren't Characters aren't too tough. Yep. And then you, Dave, said, hey, how about Zweihander? So
0: you've had a, a – you sort of talked to me at least and to some of the other players about the the setting you want to do. You want to do something a little bit different with the sort of initial setup of the campaign?
1: That's right. Uh, Zweihander, the, I guess the onboard campaign, seemed very sort of medieval, uh, very Earth-centric, harsh – Kind of grim and perilous, uh, if I can say that. <laughs> oh, I think they'll forgive you. Yeah, I think the, the phrase grim and perilous is repeated at least 100 times in the in the handbook. But back to the original question, my dilemma was how do I get the, the characters into Ravenloft in a smooth way? And where do I base the characters? Yep. Forgotten Realms or Galarian or somewhere else? And so I thought I'd set it in... 16th century germany and i needed a river to to get them from a to b because yep. the the module will start on a river in ravenloft right. i thought that would be and i didn't want to do the you're riding through the forest and there's thick mists sure i wanted to, to to mix it up a little bit more than that yeah so we'll, i'm really interested to see how that goes so i've created did some research on the internet and looked up uh, 16th century Cologne, and that seemed perfect. It was a real sort of uh, a hub of trade. Yep. And I thought people can play Scotsmen, Englishmen, uh, French, Italians, whatever they like, uh, even people from further afield, because it's a real melting pot back in the day. And it's set during the War of Cologne. Yep. And I've got a really nasty scenario to start <laughs> it out with. And I thought that kind of matched the the sort of, I guess the Zweihander kind of you know, Black yeah. Plague feel. Well, mm. it, That time period sort of fits very closely with the sort of
0: implied yes, period set, of Zweihander.
1: Yeah, cultural and technological renaissance in many way, And uh, yeah, it's set, you know, I guess, around the time of the Reformation. Yep, And I love the idea of how it's not good versus evil, but yep. it's uh, it's going to be Protestants versus Catholics.
0: <laughs> I, I gather you're at least in part preparing this campaign based on old AD&D
1: Ravenloft content. Yes. The module that I'm going to be running eventually is Feast of Goblins, which was one of the first sort of official Ravenloft modules, yep. apart from, you know, the old House of Strahd, yeah. type setup, up. And uh, it's uh, quite, a, quite an interesting module. It's not sort of Transylvania. Yeah. It's sort of more lovely scenery, mountains, yeah. snow-capped mountains and fields and where it's not going to be quite as oppressive. It's more, is it more of a fairy tale sort of feel or...? Well, it's going to be more of a the hills are alive with the sound of music. Okay. Sort of Austrian sort of bucolic bliss. Okay. That probably creeps me out a little bit more than <laughs> Barovia, to be honest. Yeah. So get everyone up tap dancing and singing and yeah, putting out of their comfort zones. No, that won't happen. But that's the backdrop and hopefully things will creep in so that you vent to the party eventually go, okay, all is not well here. Yeah. I'm hopefully going to design that so that there are ways to win without actually having to go full buffed up fighter magic user type.
0: I was going to ask you about that Um, in terms of doing the conversion of an AD&D module to Svihanda, how you're approaching that and whether it's uh, a fairly straight conversion or you're just taking the, the plot points. My experience is often converting a module or an adventure to a system other than Dungeons & Dragons, it works best to kind of take the best plot points and the most interesting combat setups and discard a lot of sort of filler combats or, uh, you know, small encounters with three goblins or, or whatever it is that in a lot of systems that aren't based around that attrition model that you were talking about with D&D, that you don't really need and uh, with something like Zweihandel would probably make it too dangerous.
1: absolutely. I guess smart players are going to be rewarded. Again, going back to those three elements of investigation, social interaction and combat, they will all work together. So I think it would be very hard if you just went in with a a combat approach. Are you adding much additional content of your own? I'm converting the monsters and pretty, yeah, mainly just the monsters. That's yeah. probably been the the most interesting bit, but it's a good way to get to really know the system and the bits yeah. and pieces.
0: Are you building custom monsters or are you mostly just reskinning what's in the Firehander book? I think the new the new supplement that's been on Kickstarter has a, a
1: more rules about monsters. I did a bit of a study of the... Bestiary yep. in the original book and sort of worked out there was a bit of a formula and got onto the Zweihander Reddit page and asked for a little bit of feedback. Sure. There on one of the creatures I created and just sort of asking about what would typical stats be yep. for a different whatever tier. Yeah. And then I just got to work, and I, I sort of, I guess, uh, feel like intuitively got a bit of a feel for what different creatures at different tiers have, just yep. by compare yep. and contrast. Yeah. And yeah, reskinned with Zuehander stats. Yeah. And yeah, it's going to be interesting to see whether I've made them too powerful or just right. <laughs> yeah. And there'll be there'll be ways in which you can, the the party can turn the tables. Yeah. On on the creatures, or at least uh, yeah, have advantages through yeah. using their other skills. Yeah. Uh,
0: as I said um, earlier, I, I was sort of interested in in getting some of your take about the actual mechanics of the game and and what you like about it and what you think what you think it will bring to your game. Uh, it might be worth talking about first, though, just your background in in playing role playing games. I know um, you've got a, a fairly Long history, particularly with Dungeons and & Dragons. And since I've I've known you, since I've been playing with you, you've sort of been exploring more options a bit more deeply,
1: I think, than maybe yes. you were inclined to. Pre- precisely. I was a very insular TSR fanboy. Yeah. And even when 3rd Ed came out, we still played 2nd Ed for years. Yep. Had a bit of a go at 3rd Ed. And then one of my friends, Andrew, he bought me the uh, Pathfinder, yeah, set yep, and then we played that for some years, and then sort of met you and had a go at uh, the powered by the apocalypse game yeah and um, which he'd customized and Dungeon crawl classics, yeah, and it kind of expanded from there, really, that started really kind of making me think differently about how to how to run a game. Yeah. Yeah. And lots of great ideas. So to be more specific, you know, the whole the uh so if someone say for instance if you pushed a role in Call of Cthulhu yep. or something like that, you you can turn that into a role playing opportunity. Like how do you do that? Yep. Or you know, you spend luck, how'd you get lucky yep. to spend that. So asking a lot more of the players to, yeah. to invent and, and participate in, in the drama that's yeah. at the table.
0: One thing I was, I was interested in talking a bit more to you about, because it was, I guess, my little peek into the, the process for you, but we have been playing a game of Call of Cthulhu separately from the podcast, playing the, the two-headed serpent adventure and... After one of the sessions of that game, uh, that's sort of the genesis of this. My suggestion to you about Zweihand was that you were sort of asking about, you know, what other systems exist within this kind of D100 Mm. ecosystem and, you know, does anyone know of anything that could work? I think you were asking about Ravenloft in particular, but fantasy generally. So uh, there were a number of recommendations uh, that kind of went back and forth about D100 fantasy games because there's a few of them out there. Uh, but as Zvihandel was sort of the last thing I recommended to you for whatever reason. It just happened to, to pop into my brain, I think. But I recommended it to you one evening and then sort of within 24 hours. I, I was think sold. You, yeah, you'd fallen in love with it.
1: Yes. So uh, you you recommended it was it could suit the dark powers yeah. element uh, and I, I guess the, the rules around corruption. Yep. So I had to check that out. I actually saw Adam Coble... Speak about it on his YouTube yep. station And go th- went through the, the, the handbook yep. And point out all these different features And I was just uh, enthralled and yep. excited And then I saw him and Daniel Fox talking about it yep. And it just elaborated I think there was one phrase about The game is about how the world shapes the characters sure. And I guess their story within that yep. and, and to see where different people can end up I always liked the idea of the the most unlikely hero yeah. and and suddenly being able to influence the world in some way or not. Uh, yeah. not, not everyone has noble endings. In
0: terms of the me- mechanics and the things you sort of saw in the, the preview or even the things you've seen since, I guess, in, in reading the book, what were the things that really grabbed you about that game that you sort of said this is what should be in the games I'm running, this is what... This will help me tell the stories or, or have the game experiences that I'm looking for.
1: I like the alignment system and how it's it's shades of grey. You've got order and chaos ranks and you head towards yeah. uh, a tendency within a character. Yeah. Um, and I like the idea of a strength when you flip it or in the wrong situation becomes a weakness. Yeah. And how characters can kind of crack and descend towards order or or chaos yeah. and the implications for that. Yeah. It kind of mimics real life.
0: Yeah. It's uh, a, a bit different than, than Dungeons & Dragons, which um, alignment is a useful tool in those games, but either some people treat it too um, prescriptively or it just sort of gets ignored. I'm sort of guilty of being in the just ignore it camp because I'd rather just decide what I'm going to do consistent with um, You know, what I think about my character But yeah. it's a slightly lighter touch in Zweihander In terms of mm. what it says about your character It's more of a, a prompt than a Yes um, A prescription
1: Yeah And I guess it, it really brings out the shades of grey Because the alignments in D and D, I find it depends on where you are. I think I got to a point where alignments didn't really matter. It was more about them versus us. Yeah, and we see that in our world as as well. The people who think they're the the good yeah. and the just, uh, doing horrible things to the other. Yeah, and human nature is about different groups and like I think the uh, the Zweihander GM Guide talks about how it can be very good at bringing people... Groups are are very good at bringing people together. Yeah. But also how, yeah, this them and us mentality occurs. What else?
0: um, So the magic system was something that...
1: Yeah, I love the idea of how there is uh, energy spewing from the abyss. uh, Yeah. And that energy... It's not necessarily good or bad, but it. I guess it's a bit like radiation. Yeah. It's can, spell casting is a little more um, risky in Slyhander than,
0: say, Dungeons & Dragons.
1: Yes. Again, it can corrupt your body and mind. Yeah. And I, the magic is also divided up into three different tiers, Yeah, which are, I which are liked. And you have to spend your, I guess, the equivalent of experience points and being able to... Purchase magic. Yeah, is it divided into different schools or different types of magic as well? Yes, you have the so you have the divine and the arcane, yeah. and the arcane is divided up into schools for a better term. Yeah, and you, so you have your set of spells. Yeah, if say you're uh, following necromantic magic, you yeah. there might be ten to choose from. Yeah, but
0: uh, so you don't quite get that utility belt effect that. Um, I think was one of the things you were saying earlier that affected how you thought players
1: approached their sort of more gritty horror content in Dungeons & Dragons. Precisely. And I think with a more restricted spell selection, hopefully it will encourage greater teamwork because a a mage or a cleric could have certain spells and you wouldn't need some of the abilities of the other classes. So yeah, I really liked the the magic magic system. Again, you have to roll to see if your effect gets up. Yeah, adds that element of excitement and and chance. And I really liked how if uh, the peril system. Yeah. So in a traditional game of say D and D. You could just roll to your heart's content, often with no consequences. Whether it was, you know, searching for traps yep. or other sorts of skills, I, I just try bashing down the door until I get the yep. dice roll I needed. Yep. Whereas this, if you critically fail skill rolls yep. in certain situations, you gain stress and from frustration, yep. those sorts of things. So yep. I think that's a nice yep. way of moderating the the dice rolling spam that yeah. can occur in a traditional game. So we've got the, the, the D100 system. Yeah. Have we talked about that from Call of Cthulhu and why I like that so much?
0: Not really. Oh, you did touch on, on why you like the D100 system. Oh, Sorry, you touched on the fact that you did like it, but you didn't really talk about what it is that was particularly appealing. Presumably, having played it at the table, there was something in particular that felt good about it?
1: Yeah, I I really liked how it was focusing on skills, yep, rather than pluses and minuses and all those sorts of things yep. that you get. And it with Hand, it just makes it so easy to modify the roles based on whatever circumstances yeah. are going on, whether it's easy, difficult, routine. Because there was back in the day, and maybe this is sort of a a gap in my DMing, but mm-hmm. you'd have people roll reasonably trivial things and roll really low. Yeah. And they can't or or you have the wizard who's able to open the door whereas the eighteenth strength fighter wasn't yeah. able to just based on luck. That yeah. sorts of things. So I think yeah. it's why it kind of uh evens it all up with yeah. the difficulty ratings. Yeah. One thing about it too, which
0: I, I, it comes out in, in Call of Cthulhu, although I think is inherited by the structure of D100 games in that they generally have some some sort of approach that's fairly granular with skills in terms of having quite a lot of different possible skills uh, and a diversity of ratings in the skills is that it does move away from the, at least the, the sort of post TSR Dungeons and Dragons uh, tendency for all of the characters to be defined by their widgets rather than their skills in a D100 game, you're sort of left with solving all the problems with primarily by saying, well, what am I going to do? And then being told there's a skill that applies to that. Uh, Whereas in D&D, particularly with spells, as you've sort of touched on, a lot of it is to think, well, how can I use a spell to get past this particular thing? Or how can I use a special ability that I've got, which I don't necessarily think is a bad kind of play, but it's, more super heroic i suppose in one way you're looking at like what is what is the thing that makes my character special that i've got that i can use to approach this situation rather than uh, simply what, what what would i do in this situation yeah you
1: i guess it's uh i don't know maybe more intelligent play because you're kind of looking at looking at it from the ground up around what normal people might do in a situation you look at your skills list and go well this is there's some ideas inherent in there that can trigger creative problem solving rather than I point my finger and cast
0: finger of death. There's also, I think, an inherent balance. I mean, characters in in a D100 game are often not really balanced uh, in the sense that they have equal combat capabilities, but they usually start with the same number of points to spend on their skills and you make the choices about those skills. And then everyone's really just got to approach things with the skills they've picked. They don't have the same kind of spells to say, well, I teleport Mm. where I need to go or I unlock that door magically or that sort of thing. And so you're you're sort of reliant, going back to the teamwork aspect of it that you were talking about, you're reliant
1: on people who have the skill Mm. uh, that's needed. Yeah, that brings party cohesion because if you lose one of your party members, then you could be... I guess in all games you can be down a certain amount of resource and your own life expectancy drops as well. I feel sometimes playing
0: D100 games that they feel more naturalistic maybe than D&D because there is that sense that everyone's really just relying on their character's ability to to do whatever they are skilled in and not Hmm. on particular buttons they can press, if you like. Uh, I sort of hate that metaphor, but, yeah, um, you know, so, so D&D characters have, have, to a certain extent, they have canned abilities that do things mm. uh, that, for my own bugbear, aren't handed out very evenly uh, mm. between classes. True.
1: Yeah, that's that seems to be borne out. And you can use skills over and over, and you've got an array, so even though you might not be so well trained in certain things, you've got a possibility of being able to do something still. Yeah play the odds and just having the skills there you might think of something a bit lateral.
0: Yeah.
1: The profession system is something Yeah. You've mentioned as something you, you enjoy. Yes. I love the zero level Dungeon Crawl classics play where they've got an array of you know, ordinary professions from gong farmers to to farmers with a starting equipment of a, a chicken or a donkey. <laughs> uh, and so Zweihander kind of expands on that and says you can sort of play these people. Yeah. You've you've you can earn a living and more often than not, their stories about sort of ordinary people who were at the wrong or right yeah. place at the wrong or right time and their stories yeah. around how the how the world shapes them. Yeah. And in the, the prelude adventure to the Ravenloft game, yeah. that's certainly going to be the case where the characters start out in a pretty heavily railroaded <laughs> kind of situation. Yeah. So they're under siege in a city by yeah. an invading army. Yeah, And as we see in the real world, people are in these situations all the time and they're railroaded yeah. uh, along different courses. Is that... A-
0: this is going on to a slightly different topic. It's sort of about your own preferences, but obviously Ravenloft has that kind of horror element and and the idea of uh, kind of people caught in a situation that's uh, that's well beyond their capabilities and, and well beyond their knowledge uh, and starting with the idea of sort of uh, people with very normal professions, not adventurers, fits very well in a kind of horror game, which is obviously what you're going for here. Is that kind of what you default to as your kind of milieu or like... Do you enjoy super powered games as their own genre or their own own kind of game to play?
1: I don't think I do. I, That's fair enough. Yeah, not for a long time. Like I like having fun games and where there's a there's a bit like I really was thinking about using dungeon crawl classics yep. and having a really serious tight game there. Yeah, uh, because I really like I like that low level things don't get. Uber powerful, yeah. But no, I can see the the appeal, but I just have a real itch to scratch when it comes to low level gritty play, and I th- I think and and I thought about this, and I thought any anything I would DM would probably default to as long as it's got a bit of grit, yeah. And I, but I guess you know I've been I've been playing for oh. Thirty-five years, so yeah, probably moved on a little bit from some of those types of narratives. Yeah, and looking for looking for the ones that kind of either give me a shiver down the spine, yep. or, or hope to try and trip out the players somehow, so that they can kind of feel things in their bodies a bit more visceral. Yep, and uh, I guess the the shades of grey and the moral dilemmas and making the best of bad situations and choosing between lesser evils, choosing between two evils and temptations and so on. That kind of interests me what players do and Mm. where they go with their characters. So absolutely love it when you can just see the dilemma washing over people's faces and people factionalizing (laughs) in the party. Yeah, so you, you... You like to see something a little less
0: party-based, I guess. Something where people have slightly more individual motivations. Where it's it's not. I mean, f- fundamentally, as a game, D and D encourages not teamwork necessarily, but everyone sort of acting in the same with the same goal. Mm. The nature of the game is such that that's the way to overcome the challenges that the game poses for you. Is that everyone working together gives you the best chance of doing that, uh, which encourages a particular kind of play as opposed to some other games so apocalypse world for instance that that doesn't really set it up so that anyone needs to be working together it's each each person has their own goals and each each playbook in that game sets you up to be doing certain things in the game that don't align with everybody else
1: makes for good drama you see it in I guess Star Wars yeah there's a bunch of misfits it's uh, Lord of the Rings uh, there's something really interesting about diversity yeah. and it creates uh, tension within yep. the party, and indeed, I'd say some of the most successfully successful, the hardest adventures are those that target that fundamental rule of the party, mm-hmm. where everyone is you don't fight each other, you don't steal from each other. I mean it happens, and then the party breaks down and yep. it doesn't go anywhere. But if you can have an outside influence doing that within yep. the party. And it doesn't even have to be magic. It Mm. can just be a a moral dilemma. Uh, I think there was one adventure where one of the characters was taken over by an alien entity. Yeah. And they were pretty much just a husk person. Yeah. And they just, because everyone just assumed that everyone was on the same team. Yeah. uh, That character was able to TPK. Yeah. Uh, and, And they played along with it. Yeah. It was a beautiful thing. <laughs> I think um, we, we talked about this a
0: bit that um, traditionally in, in a party-based game, there is almost an incentive for players in creating characters to not give them motivations outside of the party mm. uh, because then that actually makes meeting the challenges of the game more difficult if you're trying to keep in mind and say, oh, well, actually my character cares less about the people in the party and more about his um, stepmother. And his obligations to his family that drives you in a different direction, which can be really, really interesting from a narrative and role-playing perspective, but uh, is, is counterproductive to actually meeting the challenges of the dungeon.
1: That's right. Uh, and it's nice to see characters with other motivations rather than power. Yeah. Or at least wanting to do something with that power. Yeah. If they were to gain it. Yeah. Uh, to, to thrive. Yeah. And where they'd take that. Yeah. What, what's the point of... Having all the golden magical items, you win the game. Well done. Yeah, that, that was actually one of the sayings from uh, some of my old old games where people would want magical items. And yeah, say, well done, you win the game. Yep, you've you are the lord of the universe. What do you want to do now? Yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. you win yeah. the game. Yeah. yeah, old Dungeons and Dragons, for instance,
0: had that domain level play. Side of things as an answer to that, although I'm not sure everyone's that interested in domain level play. Obviously, certain certain people are, but D and D I think moved away from that because a lot of people were really interested in the adventuring, not in the mm. uh, not in that domain
1: type play. It's great if you like accounting and working out how, how much <laughs> to pay your henchmen and your troops, and then how you're going to fund them and how much tax you get. It's pretty cool. I, I didn't mind that, yeah. but uh, it seems like it's. It's sort of more one-on-one type play with your DM. And then, yeah, I'm not sure how everyone can contribute that unless you have a board meeting. Yes. And uh, that's a bit too much like real life. (laughs) Well, hopefully it remains to be
0: seen, but uh, I suppose we'll see it over the course of the the campaign, whether or not Svihander helps you to create the kind of game that you want to create and whether
1: it has the tools there for you. I absolutely think it will. Uh, i've got big hopes for it and hopefully the the system will just make everything run smoothly yeah i'm i i think it will i think it's going to it's going to work for what i want and it will encourage people to also with just the inherent mechanics to to also i guess play in a, a way in a style uh that's going to really make some Interesting narratives for the character and and the river of the story Well, uh, no doubt we'll
0: see And and everyone listening can find out when they tune in When we start, we'll be recording the uh, first few episodes next month That's right And just to let everyone know We will be continuing with Dungeon Crawl Classics as well we we'll be interspersing the the two campaigns, so if you don't like one of them, the other one will still be happening, but you should listen to both of them anyway.
1: Yes, yes, you've got to uh have something to contrast uh the systems with and yeah uh, and it's good to be able to play to move between both depending on your mood and the people you're with. well, thanks for chatting paul yeah, uh thanks for uh having me talk about uh my plans and you'll experience this firsthand and uh, so tune in and watch the watch listen to the Zweihander audio podcast and see how nasty I can be to the players and how nasty they can be to themselves when they're agonizing over different things.